0: Welcome to the Hillside Community Church podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. Well, good morning. It's good to see you. We are uh, we've been in a series since like the second week of January. This is the ninth sort of installment in that series. And in all honesty, it's been sort of a, uh, I think for for many of us, kind of a surprising spiritual journey, really. Uh, And full disclosure, I only had like two talks prepared in my head for this series when it started that I had a good picture for. The rest of it was sort of up in the air as to where it could go. And so they've just sort of grown out of each other and built on top of one another to get to where we are today, and that's important to know for our topic. Now, um, most recently, what we have done is we've looked at the heart and its role in our transformation and in our relationship with God. And we said two weeks ago, the heart never lies. So naturally, that's where God looks So when you think about your spiritual life and you wonder what God thinks of you, where do you think he's looking? He's looking at your heart. Which means he's going to look past a lot of motions, a lot of activities. And he's going to go to your heart. Now David, you know, when we were doing Psalms last week, sort of little interlude to this series was uh looking at psalms and i i literally went through all 150 of them in that week and in psalm 139 david sort of reinforces this truth he states a fact you have searched me and known me O lord you have done that so here's the key matter jesus does know your heart god does know your heart From the get-go, and David sort of says what we would assume God's doing. That's where he's looking. And then he goes through the rest of the psalm and just teases out some beautiful thoughts about why God would want to search out the heart. It's because he loves us so much. He's so intricately involved in every detail of our life. And those moments when we want to run from him because he's he's so right there that there's this urge in you to flee from him. And David says, there's nowhere to go. There's nowhere to go. And then he gets to the end of the psalm and he he goes a step further after contemplating who God is. He invites God on the search. So if you already know this about me, if you made me, if there's nowhere I can go, I mean, I might as well just open myself up to you. Search me, oh God, and know me. And the word search means to examine me. You you see the the parallel. Try me, test me, put me in the test. And see what I'm thinking. You know, when you look in the heart, you know what you're looking for. When you look into somebody's heart at an intimate and relational level, you're like, what do you care about? What are your priorities? What matters to you at the deepest level? Those are the kind of things you're looking for. So David's like, yeah, Lord, check all that out on me. Because I wanna know. So I'm like, I can't get away from you anyway. Here you go. And then he says this. This is verse 24, it says, last verse. And see what it, what it, see if there's any grievous grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. This is the interesting word because your translations might have uh, wicked or or evil way, which you could translate it that way. But this is a better way because the word actually means. Uh, The way of pain. And so he's going to contrast two kinds of ways. A way of pain and a way that's everlasting. And this is an interesting contrast. But they sort of of really build one another to help you understand what he's trying to say. And what he's trying to say, because this is extremely enlightening for your spiritual life. Uh, I want to know what hurts you when you look at my heart. I want to know if there's anything I'm doing that hurts you. Do you see where the perspective of this is going? If it hurts you, it hurts me. Now, a lot of us live, and this is, this is why this can be such sort of offensive to some degree and a little bit of an affront to us because many of us have figured out how to do the spiritual life uh, with a lot of things that seem okay to us to do. or if you ask me, that's fine. How many of those do you think you have in your life? I'm fine with it. Oh, but it bothers you, Lord? Then I won't do that. That's the essence of the spiritual life. Tell me, you know, you could live with it, but no one you love, no one who's intimate with you, no one who's close with you would, would put up with that. Okay, I mean, marriage is a beautiful illustration. You get the single guy who gets married. There's a lot of things he thought. We're fine. And by the way, whatever those things are, Lord, I'm gonna, we're going to live with them forever. This is the way it's going to be forever. It's going to be forever about you. It's going to be forever about what matters to you because I know what matters to you matters ultimately. And if I'm going to have to live with it forever, then I want to know what matters the most. Now, C.S. Lewis put it this way, and I think it's a great spiritual question and it ought to hang over us as we sort of delve into the topic today uh, when he says the things that should concern us should concern those who are going to live forever. What are the things that that should concern those of us who are going to live forever? Because that's what David is essentially saying. I mean, since you're going to live forever anyway, What do you want to live with forever? And what should be my concerns? Now, what if there was a way to actually take a test? I mean, a test that would reveal where your heart is. David says, examine me, test me. Is it possible that there is a way to know what really does concern your heart the most? Because wouldn't that be interesting to know? And wouldn't it be interesting to be able to say to you what should my heart be concerned about if I'm going to live forever anyway? So at the beginning of this series, I told you that uh, I took this, I took a test for my heart physically. It was a, an active metabolic assessment. and uh, And here's, Here's the subtitle to this test. It's a scientifically accurate method of determining your specific heart rate zones, how your body burns carbs and fats as fuel, and how you can exercise smarter. And then they give you a printout. And it's your numbers, it's your heart. It's what you're capable of and what you're not capable of. It's how your body functions and how it doesn't. And what you could do. It gives me the sweet spot for burning fat. Um, I shared with you n- a number of insights in here. Um, how well my body uses oxygen to perform, and at the very end, there's there's charts for comparisons, so I can go, oh, compared to, you know, others, other ages. I mean, it's that detailed. I mean, look at this. This is all me. It's a printout on my heart. And then at the very end, he says, uh, your VO2 score correlates to a decreased lower risk of cardio, uh, or a higher VO2 score correlates to a decrease or lower risk of cardiovascular disease. So how you can lower heart disease. That's what the test is. And so uh, so how would you like to have a printout of your spiritual heart? Because the truth of the matter is, here's the deal. God already knows it. Because that's what David said in the psalm. You already know. I'm just finally mature enough to want to hear the results. Let me see the printout. And so when you get to that place, now you're, Talking. And so uh, you say, Would you even want that test? Would you want that printout? Like, some of you like like, No, thank you. And so, of course, we, if you are interested in the test, we trust Jesus on how to assess the heart. Um, he knows the heart better than anyone. Even. And he knows what's ultimate. And, and he says uh, something like this. And we saw this two weeks ago and we stopped. Um, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And you make a statement like that and we've all heard it before. But in this context, it has incredible implications. Um, because Jesus is about to say something that's going to be startling. This is why I wanted you to remember that every single talk has grown out of another one, because many of us might not even be interested in hearing it had it been the first talk instead of the ninth one. And I would still venture to say that there's people that would rather not take the test, And so, uh, because Jesus is going to say, and here's the reason: here's the reason. Jesus is actually going to say, money and how you use it is the single best way to assess your heart. Some of you could use some oxygen right now, you just need a little bit of oxygen and I get it because you're like wait a minute Pete wait a minute wait a minute we have spent eight what nine weeks you're saying here I thought quiet times was the best way to assess that I finally got my quiet time life working okay I'm finally having more than I've ever had and I'm feeling so great about it you'd think that right now if God were to ask how my heart's doing I would just say look at my quiet times All right, that's what you would think you would do and you'd feel great about that and the other uh, side of this, some of you might be sitting there and you might refuse, you might literally in your heart refuse to even see that money's a spiritual issue at all. You, it might not even be dawning on you that, I mean, if you were to say, hey, take a test on spirituality, money is the, is the main one? It wouldn't be the one, would it? And yet, we think back on Jesus' life and we see that our, you know, our, our Savior, you know, the smartest man who ever lived, talked about money more than heaven and hell, but never asked for any. You say, what's that about? How can you talk about money and never ask for any? Jesus knew. He knew. He knows the human heart really well. And so here's the attitude you almost have to have. If Jesus is the smartest man in the world, and he's the one I trusted my whole life, if he brings up this issue, I need to think about this. I need to think about what he's trying to say. Because Jesus would say uh, if you're having this conversation with him about your spiritual life, <laughs> You, you, you would hope he would ask for your journal. Let me see your journal. And I'll be able to tell whether or not you're spiritual. Uh, let me interview your family members. All he's going to do is say, hand me your checkbook. Or let us you and I sit down together in front of the computer and let's, let's look at your bank statement. You might just be, your head might be spinning at that moment. You're like, what? Really? Now, if we were to look at it, how would we assess it? How does that test work? When you, when you sit down, I sat down with this fellow by the name of Zach, and before you take the test, you've got to go sit down with him and he gives you the pretest. And the pretest test is a conversation about what you're about to experience. And as you go through it, you're like, he's saying, okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to, uh, this is all the things that we're going to assess. I'm going to strap you to this. You're going to wear this and he shows you and we're going to go over there and you can pick whichever exercise thing you want. And he goes, I think we ought to do the ski erg. I've never done anyone on the ski erg before let's do the skier, you know, as this is a machine where you're doing this and you're just skiing. And he says, we're going to ski for 30 minutes. And so you first first hear that and you're like a a whole 30 minutes. Yeah. We're going to have one stop after four minutes. There's going to be a little bit of a rest so I can do some assessments and then we're taking off. And as we go, it's just going to increase. And then we'll get to a point where I'll say to you, uh, can you keep going? And I'll go. And you'll tell me if you can keep going. And I'll say to you that if the test results will be a little better, if you can keep going right now with the last four minutes of that 30 minutes, he's like, can you keep going? I'm like, I'm reading things. I'm seeing stuff. Can you keep going? And I, I I, I don't know. Is it worth it? I mean, can can you tell anything now? (laughs) And you're like, oh my goodness. Is it worth it? Well, anyway... It's not an easy test. So, let me give you the pre-meeting. And, then, and by the way, after that meeting, and you have this, then you sit down with him again for another 20 minutes and he makes an assessment. He goes through this with you, but then he adds things. Here's some things you can be doing. The post-meeting. Okay, and so that's an important meeting as well. I learned some things there that I need to be doing. How many times a week do I need to be hitting certain zones? for the best results, Uh, different things like that. So let's sort of sit down with Jesus for the pre-meeting before you actually take the test. Um, And he's gonna say right here, accumulate for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Do not accumulate for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. And so immediately, the first thing he's gonna do, Jesus in this pretest, which is pretty easy, you hear it and you're like, oh, okay, okay. Uh, He's telling you that there's earthly treasures and there's heavenly ones. And the word accumulate here, this is probably the best way to explain what the verb means, but it's the same word as treasures. It says, don't treasure treasures on earth. Is essentially what he's saying. He's saying instead, uh, treasure treasures in heaven. And it's very clear that, uh, first of all, you've got to make this distinction. Not everybody does that there really are earthly treasures and there really are heavenly ones. And one of the clear distinctions which Jesus makes the case so easily is that some of them last. I mean, some of them are made of a different substance and a different reality, the kinds of things that go on forever. And some of them are like subject to the forces of nature. They rock, rodents will get them. Or a thief will break in and steal it. it. You'll be robbed. So Jesus is saying some of these, the heavenly treasures are safer and they're made of a different substance and they last forever. So the first thing I need you to do in this sort of pre-meeting before we take the test is I need to make sure you can see the difference between those two. Uh, All right, so far so good. And then Jesus is going to sort of say, okay, let me me ask you two questions now regarding that little thing that was kind of easy. And here's the first one. How well do you think you see the distinction? That's the first question. How well do you think you see the distinction? Now, let me show you what I mean by that. Because Jesus is going to say this. He's going to bring up the eye. The eye is the lamp of the body. If then your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is diseased, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Now, you say, what what is he saying? All right, now here's, here's essentially what he's saying. You have to read it a couple times to sort of take it in. But he's basically saying this. The eye sort of lights up the way so that your body can move about in the world. Your, your eye shows you how and where to move. Uh, the eye is sort of a window into your heart. We say about people, uh, his eyes lit up. Or have you ever said this about a person... Um, you could see it in their eyes. We've all said that. And that was a clear window into what's here. And that's essentially what Jesus is saying. And now, what he's saying is, there's good eyes and there's bad eyes. There's a good eye and there's a bad eye. So in the first one, you see how it's translated. And this, is, this one translates it translates it healthy. If your eye is healthy, so your your eye sort of lights up, so your body knows where to move. And if your eye is healthy, okay, then your whole body's full of light and you, your whole body knows where to go if, you're, if, you're, if it's healthy. Now, the word healthy could be bad. This is, a, this is a great illustration. You can see real clearly within the text how we go from physical to metaphorical or to spiritual reality here. Um, because... The good eye, which is the good eye, you could translate it good, you could translate it healthy, you could translate it single eye, or you could actually translate it, the cognate is uh, generous. That's the idea behind the text. If you have a single eye, a good eye, if it's clear, if it's healthy, it can distinguish the earthly and the heavenly. And the generous person clearly has an eye so that his body moves in that reality Versus this reality. Now, if you have a bad eye or a diseased eye is another way to look at it. A diseased eye, or you could say a double eye, double vision, where you sort of blurred in focus. In other words, uh, the earthly and the heavenly just sort of pile up into one and you can't really distinguish them very well. And you know that uh, because you have what the Jewish, what, what the Jews sort of was an idiom for them, the evil eye. Have you ever heard of the evil eye? This is where it comes from. It's the, you could translate this evil. The evil eye, or for the Jews, the idiom was the miser. The guy with the evil eye is the stingy guy. You can't let go of it. So he clearly is incapable of distinguishing enough so that his body, so that his the movements of his life orient themselves toward the things that are of a different substance. they're made up of things that last forever, eternal things, heavenly things. the double eye can't can't do it, and so what essentially Jesus is saying is uh, like of the earthly and heavenly, which do you have an eye for? Now, which one do you have an eye for? This is the pretest. So you're sitting there with him and. He's in, and he might ask, "What catches your eye?" What catches your eye?" <laughs> now here's the thing. This is where you have to be really careful, because you're sitting there going. I think I'm fine. I don't think there's anything wrong. So far, so good. Where's the skier? I'm ready. Now, Jesus says this though. Be careful. This is, this is the irony in the text. Everybody has light coming in you. You have light in you. The good eye and the bad eye are getting a kind of light. And the and the and the irony is sort of like uh uh <laughs> but the light you're working with isn't isn't reality. In other words, you have a you've thought about this, you've sort of decided what's right for you, but it's nowhere close to what Jesus is saying, but you but you're like, hey, it works for me. Jesus is saying Be careful, because it's very possible that what you think is right, the information that you're working with, that you've chosen to act upon here, might very well be dark. And this is incredible, because Jesus says there's nothing greater than that kind of darkness. The kind of darkness where you think you see, but you don't. There's no worse kind of blindness than the blind guy who thinks he sees. That's a devastating person to be around. Is it not? The devastating person to be around. So you say, all right, so what does that mean? How could I be working with, like? how could I think I see but I don't in this category? Well, let me ask you this. How many of you have walked in and the first thing I asked you when you came in this morning and everybody had to write it down, what's the sin that's just dominating your life right now? And the last one you would, anyone would put would be greed. You're like, I don't think I'm greedy. That's always a nasty kind of word to say. You see, you're just like, I don't think I'm greedy. Some of the other sins, this thing about greed, some of the other sins are just so easy to see. Jesus' whole point here is greed hides in darkness. There's a deceitfulness about greed that you could be greedy and never call yourself greedy. You could be focused on earthly things and never see it. Because there's a certain light you're working with, Jesus would say, it's not getting you anywhere close to what matters the most. And so you might ask, uh, not only would you say, the last sin I'm worried about is greed, Right? Jesus said beware of the deceitfulness of riches. It doesn't say to beware about other sins. You know when they're happening. With greed, you don't always know it's at work. And you might also add this, you might also add this into this sort of equation with this light here. You might say, I give plenty. I give plenty. Because from where you stand, it seems like a lot. It seems like I do do that. And then there might be a third one where you go, I don't, even, I don't even factor money into my spiritual life at all. It's not even something I factor when I'm thinking about my spiritual life. That's how deceitful the topic can be. Uh, Gail was out of town this past uh, week. I guess it wasn't this weekend, it was the last weekend. And so uh, I got to watch something that, that I wanted to watch. <laughs> and it was uh, something that, you know, no pun intended, caught my eye. Because it, it looked scientific at first, and I wasn't really sure what to do with it. But it was called Beyond the Curve. And so I turned it on. I had no idea what it was. Documentary, I think it's Netflix. I can't, I can't remember for sure, but it was documentary. And it was all about the, the flat earthers. And the fact that, you know, there was a time when literally there was only 13 people. This is years ago. There were only 13 people were flat earthers. It was a small little society. Well, that thing's grown to over 1,000 again. So they're coming back around and they're having you know, meetings and all this other kind of stuff, and this whole show is about it. And they're interviewing these people, and you realize, you know, and there's, and and in the middle of it, people are breaking, psychologists, very smart physicists, astrophysicists, psychologists are all breaking in to try to help whoever's watching this show understand how it is that people can see that the earth, can believe that the earth is flat. And of course, they got all kinds of conspiracy theories there. They don't believe the earth spins, they don't believe it's a circle. You know, you know, they, have a, uh, they don't believe it's round, so it's not spinning and it's not, uh, and it's not revolving around the sun. And the amazing thing is, and these psychologists come on and you watch them and you realize it's not because these people aren't smart. because There's a lot of smart people in that group. There's something else going on in the mind. There's, just, there's this confirmation bias. There is this desire to, for something to be right, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna spend my whole life making it right because I want it to be right. And these psychologists come on, and I'm gonna tell you why this is so powerful in just a minute, but I want you to watch one thing first. I was able to capture a minute and 34 seconds of this of one particular guy, about three quarters of the way into this, who wants to do an experiment. And of course, there's are some experiments that you can do to help figure this out. And he does one, I'm gonna, he, he, he gets on Anyway, I, 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 just, I just want you to watch him on this, just watch.
1: Bob Nadell is his name. Recently we've carried out an experiment to test the rotation to the earth. If the earth is spinning at one rotation every 24 hours, that means that every hour it has to turn 15 degrees. And if the gyroscope is mounted anywhere on earth, It's going to drift. In today's 21st century navigation systems, they're using what's called a ring laser gyroscope. It is extremely precise. If we could simply get one of these ring laser gyroscopes, we would be able to prove once and for all that there is no rotation to the earth. One of the people in the community actually purchased one for $20,000. But what we found is, is when we turned on that gyroscope, we found that we were picking up a drift, a 15 degree per hour drift. Now, (laughs) obviously we were taken aback by that. Wow, that's kind of a a problem, (laughs) right? We obviously were not willing to accept that and so we started looking for ways to disprove that it was actually registering the motion of the earth and that it in fact was registering the motion of the sky. So the next thing that we set out to do was to encase the fiber optic gyro in what's called a zero Gauss chamber to see if we could actually shield the energies being generated by the heaven. And we were unsuccessful with that, unfortunately.
0: So he has an idea to do a third one. Uh, and you, you heard him say, we, 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 just, we just can't accept that. Now here's the thing. Before you, before you just freak out, and it is, it's really hard, it's really hard, the psychologists within the show try to help you be sensitive to this group. Because the kinds of advice that the psychologists and their assessment of these people Easily applies to many of us in all kinds of areas of life where we are flat earthers at some point in our lives because we are truly unwilling to see something. How many of you would say, I don't have anything in my life that I'm unwilling to see? Which means you could be a flat earther. That's what Jesus is trying to say right Because it's even possible that you're still sitting here right now going, I refuse to let money be the litmus test for my spiritual life. Then you would be that. So the first one is, how well, the first question Jesus is going to ask you in this pre-meeting How well do you see the distinction between? And you say, how do I know if I'm seeing the distinction well? Well, you get it in this image of am I generous or stingy? That's the first thing that begins to appear. Am I a generous person or am I a stingy person? So put it in this category. Am am, Am I one who's always trying to get stuff, getting or giving? That is is the first thing to begin to see in yourself. So here's the second question Jesus is going to ask you. Do you understand? Okay, here's the second question. Do you understand that whichever one you actually lean on is your God? You actually worship it. You serve it, it's calling the shots in your world. And that's when Jesus gets to this verse here. No one can serve two masters. This is the end of the text. Either he hates the one and loves the other, he'll be devoted to one and despise the other, but look at the last line. You cannot serve them both. God and money cannot be served equally. Like, okay, here's the second pre-meeting question do I even realize what the stakes are? If if I asked you to come in here and you didn't know what this word was and we said you cannot serve God and I wonder what you would have put here. Might you have put that? You could put a lot of things in there probably. But I wonder how many of you would have put it in there if you didn't know what that word was going to be. If you hadn't read the text, you can't serve God and. So evidently, money is, in Jesus' mind, his chief competitor for your heart. Wow. Wow. Maybe greed is a bigger issue in me and I don't even know it. Maybe it is, because I'm, I'm, I'm serving it. So Jesus is like, everybody serves somebody, but nobody serves more than one. But everybody's serving something. Because you're like, wait a minute, Pete, if you sat me down right now and you asked me who do I worship or what do I worship, I would never say I worship money. See, that's part of the deception and part of the insidious nature of Greed. And who would ever, I mean, Jesus goes so far as to now personalize both of, both of these as if they're, they're gods and in their personhood that you worship. How many of you have, would have taken this conversation that far? This, it just seems overwhelming. But we definitely try because I think most of us, with the sort of the light that we've turned on, we've got a certain light that we work with when it comes to money. Every single one of us in this room do. And I think that many of us for have added this to this text forever. Don't you think? Uh, I, I think I found a way. I think I can do it. Isn't that insane? And John White says this about the dilemma. Because it's a dilemma. We would like to believe that our treasure was in heaven and that heaven was our real choice. But earthly treasures can continue to attract. We may not want outrageous wealth. And we'd be content with just reasonable financial security. But we don't want to miss out on anything either, he says. And so we are ambivalent. It's that double vision. We are like the monkey with his fist trapped inside the coconut shell, clutching a fistful of peanuts. He wants freedom in peanuts, and he can't have both. And then he says we're spiritually... Neurotic Trying to embrace indulgence And renunciation at the same time And we somehow would like To have godliness Without Repudiating wealth It's a genuine Dilemma Dallas Willard says to imagine that we can serve both is nonsensical and you cannot imagine god would endure it because while it is a while money is a rival god it comes nowhere close to actually being god and so the real god would never tolerate you trying to serve them both as if they were equals. Okay, um, that's the pretest, Mr. Chiafalo. How would you like to take the test? <laughs> uh, actually, I think I'll pass. I appreciate that very much. I think I'll pass. Uh, Well, let's say you did want to take the test. Since Jesus says it is the litmus test. What would you do? And how could you assess it? And then what would the post-meeting be like? That's next week. (laughs) That is next week. I wanted to do it today, but... uh, And by the way, it's, it's... it's, the answers are in Matthew six, right here where we are. But uh, it's better to let this hang. You know, next week we start to start our uh, sort of a, a little bit of a missions emphasis, but this will fit right in with it beautifully. So we're about to take communion. So you say, well, what? Anyway, how can I get started? How can I start thinking about this? How can I think about this test a little bit more? And now we're coming to the table. Let me say a couple of things about uh, the table. So Calvin Miller says that one of the best ways to begin assessing your heart, and this issue particularly, is to come to the table, the communion table. And so he says this. So what happens if I discover in my heart that I do Love things more than I thought I did. Or money or the things it can do for me. He says the best way to deal with that sin is not to attempt to reform. Because the the typical religious response is just to figure out, okay, what do I gotta do? What do I gotta do? What do I gotta do? And here's his, his answer is, just start adoring the Savior. Just adore him more. Treasure him. And you'll see your eye start to shift because you, tr- because you truly in your heart treasure him. So it's getting closer to him and treasuring him. He says, winning over our lower nature is made positive by adoration. While we worship the enthroned and inner Christ, we cannot be intrigued by negative preoccupations. If your eyes are on him and you're treasuring him, it's really hard to, to, for your eyes to wander over here. And he says the best place to deal with this is at the table. And here's what he writes, and this is what I want to be in your mind as you go to the table. Because you're going to get up in just a minute, you're going to go grab your elements, and you're going to just sort of gather around this here. We're, we're not going to sing, we're just going to have a little music playing, and then I'm going to come up and lead us um, in it. it. So if, if, if you don't want to take communion today, you don't have to, just sort of gather toward the front. Here's, here's what he says to keep in mind. He says, True lovers of Christ can stand the pain of self denial because they see the host, because they meet the host. So you come to the table and there's a host there, and it's God. It's Christ. And his hands are bruised and scarred, and his once broken fingers now break the loaf for you. As his guests, and I love that image, we're guests at the table. We must turn from a once selfish life to seek another life, the life of another. So the host himself had no ambition but to do the Father's bidding. And he couldn't fail at life because life held nothing for him. So our lives must be lived in imitation of our host. In Gethsemane, Christ struggled with selfish desire. As guests at his table, we must come to our own Gethsemane and drink the cup of the Father's will. So here's the question as you go get those elements. Ask yourself, Lord, is is there any is there anything in me as it relates to money? Is there anything I'm doing or thinking that might hurt you? could you please lead me in the way that's everlasting? I mean, I'm coming to the table because I think you provide the essence of eternal substance, what matters the most. And it's possible that my head has been buried in the sand on this particular topic. Do I treasure you more than anything else? Search me and try me. That's what I want in your mind. So let's stand to our feet. Music's going to play. You go get the elements, have that in your mind, and then just come forward, and then we'll take it together. It's a great song. You know it? Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. You now take my heart, Lord, seal it. And I want to remind you of something really important here. I'm not exempt from this test. I, I got to take it and I got to pass it myself. Just because I'm the one delivering the message doesn't mean I'm exempt. I, I'm right in the middle of this, of this thing with you. And every every angst you're feeling I'm feeling so this is something we're in together but I can tell you as I take this and I, and I I can you know I think Miller's right I should imagine that there are very very broken hands handing me this bread as I think about what Jesus did for me and the sacrifices and I, I really do want to know him in I really don't want earthly treasures to matter to me more than than heavenly ones do and if that's your heart if that is your heart then you eat that bread eat it and if you can say Lord you, you try me in this area Have a conversation with somebody really close to you about money. It might be an in-home in, in home kind of thing. Maybe a small group. I would love for one of you at small group to go, uh, you know, I love money more than I thought I did. And uh, I'd like to talk about that with the rest of this group in here. Who else loves it? You'll throw up all the little goodies you ate right before right before the meeting but let's do it and then you march yourself back here next week and say God I'm ready for the test and that post sit down meeting Father we love you we want our hearts to be drawn to you we know there's nothing that compares to you there's nothing worth treasuring above you forgive us for trying to serve you and other things and search our hearts. In Jesus' name, Amen. Hey, thanks for watching today's message. We hope it encourages you wherever you're at in your faith. If you enjoyed it, let your friends know. We'll catch you next time.